yeah, our topic this week is God's pursuit of us. And so we're going to be walking through different passages in Scripture um, that highlight this. This, this truth, this reality that God is pursuing you is beautiful. In middle school and high school, that this truth really hit me like a ton of bricks, especially in high school when I became a Christian my senior year. Um, just the reality, the truth that the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth is pursuing me and loves me. And, um, yeah, it's amazing. So, so that's what we're going to be talking about. So as, so as we think through this, pursue. And also, in this class, like, don't be afraid to speak up. We'll, we'll have moments where we can dialogue and talk. Um, I don't want it just to be me talking the whole time. So you can talk in this class uh, if it has something to do with, with what we're talking about. Not just like, hey, talk, talk about whatever. But um, anyway, so yeah. So what does the word pursue mean? What? Yeah. I mean that? What else? Yeah, chase after. Someone give me one more. Yeah, to seek out. What do you have back? You okay? You're gonna say the same thing. Um, okay, yeah. Those those are all good things. Now, what is what does it mean to be pursued? What does it mean when someone pursues you? Yeah, you feel wanted. Maybe you feel like, oh, this this person sees me, they know me, or they want to know me, right? What else? I'm sorry, what? What? Yeah, you feel noticed, right? You feel like you matter. And we all want to feel that, right? We all want to be known. We all want to be loved. To kind of bring it further... I don't want you to say this, answer it out loud, but I want you to be thinking through this throughout the week and right now. What are you pursuing? What are the things that you're pursuing? Good grades, friends, popularity, approval of others, how many likes you get on social media. But what are the things that you are pursuing? Paul David Tripp um, said it best when he said, You and I are creatures of desire. Everything you ever choose to do or say is the product of desire. Desire not only dictates our pursuits, but it also shapes our dreams. What you desire most in life is probably going to dictate a lot of what you pursue in life. And... Today we're going to be in Genesis 3, and we're going to see how our desires have gotten twisted and turned around because of sin. But before we open Genesis chapter 3, what happened in Genesis 1 and 2 to kind of set the stage for chapter 3? What happened in in 1 and 2? right? The creation story. Genesis is, it it literally means the book of beginnings. And so Genesis 1 and 2, it, it, 
it's talking about the creation story. And what are some of the things that God created? And don't just say everything because that's a cop-out. But like, huh? Cows. Cows, whales. The weather. What else? Heaven and earth. Light and darkness. Sun, the moon. Yeah. He created you and me, right? We're all created in God's image, right? He created us. Genesis 1 and 2 talks about this beautiful garden named Eden. And it was perfect. It was a paradise. Now when you hear the word paradise, what comes to mind? The beach. What else comes to mind? Heaven. Yeah. Good food, yes. I said in the other class, I said Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Paradise. Um, what else? Good food. Comfort. Comfort, yeah. For me, it's like, honestly, the older I get, the more it's like just being with my friends and like just sitting and... And being in their presence sometimes to me is like just paradise. Just to be with people. Um, okay, so paradise. This paradise that's described in Genesis 1 and 2 is, is nothing like we've ever experienced before. Because what's described in Genesis 1 and 2, this paradise is perfect. Which means there's no sin, there's no death, there's no suffering, there's no insecurities, there's no people throwing shade back and forth at one another. Do people still use that term, throw shade? No? Okay, alright. I have to like, I'm learning new things with, with you guys. Like, it's just like, oh, that's a new term. Like, there's a new term every week. Alright, so like people not throwing shade at one another. Um, there's, I mean, there's no FOMO. How, do any of you suffer from FOMO? I do. Fear of missing out? That's a real thing, okay? Um, so there's none of that. There's, there's no, there's none of the brokenness that we experience now in the Genesis 1 and 2. But that's where we get to chapter 3. Now this is probably a familiar passage for a lot of us. But I don't want us to just skim past it as like, oh, I already know it. Because there's so, it's so rich and there's so much in this passage. And so I, I don't want us to just sort of skim over it, but I want us to really dive into what's happening. So, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the first 15 verses. Um, and then maybe throughout the week too, I'll have some people read as well, if you want to. I'm not just going to call on you if you don't want to. But, um, alright. Is everyone there? Yay, nay? Okay. Alright. This is God's Word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the, in the garden in the cool of, of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But when the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and, and you shall bruise his heel. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we need you. Lord God, we need your spirit to enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see the wondrous works of who you are and who Jesus is. Lord God, I, I pray that our, our time would, would be fruitful, that you would be the one to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you all remember the story a couple of years ago about the soccer team in Thailand, the boys who got caught in the cave? you all remember hearing about that? Okay, it was like on national news, and it was like everyone was on the edge of their seats because we saw it in real time played out. And so the... So the boys soccer team, they, they got done with practice and they went with their coach to explore this cave. And they're in there and they're pretty deep inside the cave and all of a sudden the floodwaters start to rise and they are trapped in there for about 10 days. I want you guys to imagine what it would have been like to be in that cave. Sitting in darkness. Surrounded by darkness. Desperate for rescue, desperate for someone to come find you, desperate to get out of your hopeless situation. You see, here in Genesis 3, humanity is sitting in darkness because of the brokenness and because of sin. Sin has entered into the world and sin affects everything. It affects everything, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. It affects everything. And so, and with that, it also affects our desires and our pursuits. So, two points for us to consider. I'm going to write these on the board for those who are note takers. But the first is this. We run, oops. We run from God. And two, 
God perceives. God perceives us. Two points. The first, we run from God. All of us in this room are runners. And what I mean by that is that we all run from God. Tim Keller said it like this. He said, sin makes us run away from God. So all of us in this room have that in common. That we all run from God because of sin. Adam and Eve were living in paradise. They had it all. They had no no insecurities. They had no FOMO. They had no pain or suffering. They had a perfect friendship with God and a perfect friendship with one another. And what we see is that God provided everything that they needed. In Genesis 2, God is talking with Adam and and Adam's there and and God's like, Alright, Adam, you look around you. All of this is yours. You can eat of any food, any fruit from any tree in the garden, but that tree that's in the midst, in the middle of the garden, is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat the fruit from that tree. Why? Why does God say He can't do that? What, 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 what does He say will happen if He does? That's a better question. Yeah, He says you will surely die. You will, you will die, die if you eat that, right? And here's what it comes down to. Are Adam and Eve going to choose to go God's way or are they going to choose to go their way? And chapter 3 highlights what Adam and Eve do. See, Adam and Eve do the very thing that God told them not to do. And, and they disobey God, right? Here's the thing. If you look at verses 1 through 7, who came to Eve in the garden? The serpent, right? The devil himself comes to Eve and he asks her a question. He says, did God actually say? Did God really say? You know that that question is a question that is questioning the goodness of God? Did God really say? Here's the lie that got Eve and that gets us. The lie is that Life can be found outside of God. And just like Eve believes it, we believe the same lie. We believe that we can be independent and self-sufficient from God. That we don't need Him. And so Satan comes and he says, Did God really say? Is He really good? Does He really know what's best? Eve... Look at what you can become. Look at what your life can be. All you have to do. This is my paraphrase, by the way. It's not in the Bible. Look. All you have to do is disobey God. Then you'll have life. Then you'll be happy. Right? And Eve is hooked. Eve sees the food. And she... Listen how the Bible describes. Eve sees the tree was good... Delightful and desirable. Doesn't sin always look good, delightful, and desirable? But what we see is that sin never gives us what it promises. And so what happens is that she takes and she eats it and she gives some to Adam. 
And what happens after Adam and Eve eat? What do they realize? They're naked, right? They realize for the first time that they're naked and that there's, they realize their shame. You see, the serpent was right when he said that their eyes would be open. But their eyes weren't open to what they thought they would be open to. They were open to their shame and their guilt. You see, Eve became fixated on the one thing that she could never have, which was God's position. Um, I have a dog named Lola. And she's like a red bone coon hound. And I, and I always told myself, like, I'm not going to be that dog mom who, like, talks about her dogs all the time because it's like, that's annoying, right? Um, but I'm going to talk about my dog. Um, I don't care if it's annoying or not. But, so my dog Lola has this basket full of toys in my living room. And the basket full of toys is, it's right next to the doorway that goes into the foyer. Now, if you're French, the foyer. Doesn't that just sound pretty, the foyer? Anyway, my, my foyer is not pretty. But um, into the, the foyer, and, the, and then the next room over is the dining room. But she has this one toy named Ellie the Elephant. We name her animals, her toys, whatever. Um, and so Ellie the Elephant is her favorite toy. And it never fails that every time when I sit to watch a movie or a TV show, Lola plays with Ellie the Elephant and she has a squeaker in it. Like it has a... And so it squeaks every time. So one day, I take, I take Ellie the Elephant and I throw her into the next room, into the dining room. And Lola sits at the doorway and she is, she is so fixated on the one thing she doesn't have. But she won't go into the next room because the foyer has a um, the vent for the air and she's terrified of that. So like she won't go into the next room. So she just sits at the doorway and she begins to whimper. And it's the saddest thing and I cave. But what Lola doesn't realize is that she is literally in the basket, sitting next to the basket full of toys. Like 20 other toys. But she's so focused on the one thing she doesn't have that she doesn't, she misses out on the good things that she already does have. And that's what's happening with Eve. Like she is, she was so focused on the one thing she could never have, which was God's position, that she missed, that she was in the Garden of Eden. She was in paradise. She had all that she could ever have wanted. They had it all. And see, that's what happens. And so here are Adam and Eve... They realize their shame and their guilt. And what do they do to handle their shame and their guilt? What? Yeah. They cover themselves. They run. They hide. And they cover themselves up. And they sew fig leaves together. Because they're trying to cover up their shame and their guilt. This is like general, generally speaking, not specifically to you, but in what ways do we, generally speaking, try to cover up our shame and our guilt? What are some ways we do that? 
a little louder. I'm like, lying. lying. Yeah, lying. I'm young, but I don't know. My ears don't always work that well. Lying. Yeah. What else? Yeah, convincing ourselves. Oh, that bad, right? What else? Yeah, do better in something else. Maybe to avoid. Yeah, justifying it. Yeah. We play the compare game, right? We pick the worst possible person. Say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, right? I didn't do those things, so I'm pretty good, right? Yeah, those, those are ways that we can cover up our shame. And do our attempts of trying to cover up our shame, do they work? Yeah, yeah. Kind of backfires in the end, right? <laughs> we think that they work, but what we find out is that ultimately they don't work. See, Adam and Eve covering themselves up, they're like taking a band-aid and they're trying to, to take a band-aid and trying to cover up a bullet wound, right? Like that's not going to be effective if you go to your closet and you get an Avengers band-aid that's like this small and you're like, let me cover up this, this bullet wound, that this big hole that I have in my arm. Like that's not going to do anything, right? You need surgery. You're not going to need a band-aid. See, they go for the quick fix. And we do the same. We think that we can fix ourselves up. And so here's the thing is that we run away from God and we run to things and we run to people that we think will make us happy. But what we find is that our running and our searching and our chasing, our attempts to find meaning and purpose and ultimately salvation. Salvation apart from Jesus. Again, Paul David Tripp says, You and I are always seeking something. You and I are always living for something. I want you guys to be honest with yourselves for a moment. I don't know what I did with my marker. Here it is. I want you to consider this phrase. Okay? I'll write it on the board. If I had blank, then my life would be. If I had whatever fill in the blank, then my life would be fill in whatever that blank is for you. Think about that. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we could say that our lives are shaped by the pursuit of other things. Paul David Tripp goes on to say, perhaps the desire to be successful has eaten your schedule with frantic workaholism. Perhaps the desire for physical things has left you empty. Perhaps the desire to avoid failure has made you more demanding and controlling than you thought you would ever be. Perhaps the desire for comfort and ease has caused you to be self-absorbed. Or maybe the desire to be affirmed and respected has caused you to ride the roller coaster of people's responses. Here's what I'm not saying. 
I'm not saying that it's bad to desire order and health and acceptance and comfort and to be known and loved. Those are great things to desire. But what I'm saying is that these desires must not rule our hearts. Because when these desires rule our hearts and our affections, it replaces God as the ruler of our heart. I think what we can fall into is doubting the goodness of God. And we doubt the goodness of God because I think we want God to kind of fit into our plans. Right? We want God to act according to our plans and to fit our agendas and our timetables. And when He doesn't, we doubt, Huh, God, are you really good? Are you really for me? But here's the thing. God doesn't fit according to our plans. He doesn't work according to our plans. He works according to His. And His plans are better than our plans. His ways, His thoughts are better than our thoughts. And He does care about us. He does love us. And what we find here is that sin never gives us what it promises to give us. Second point. God pursues us. We run from God. So we're running. And God pursues us. This is the best part of the the passage. What does God do? So Adam and Eve, they're hiding. Right? They have the fig leaves and they're hiding. But what does God do? Who do they hear? I just gave you the answer. (laughs) What? What is God doing? Yes, yes. He's walking. He's walking in the garden. He's walking in the garden. He's not stomping in the garden, but he is walking. And God is moving towards them in love and in grace. And God asks them a question. In verse 9. In verse 9, what does God say? Where are you? God asks them a question. He says, where are you? Now, God's not asking that question because He's like, I've lost Adam and Eve. I have no idea where they are. Like, no! God is all-knowing. He knows exactly where they are. But God asking them, where are you? That is God pursuing them. That is God calling them out of their shame, out of their hiding, to admit their sin and rebellion, and He's saying, where are you? Our God is a pursuing God. And God is pursuing us more than we're pursuing Him. God doesn't end the story right there. What we find here is that there are curses that God pronounces, but in the midst of that, in the midst of God's punishment, there's grace. In Genesis 3.15, God promises to send a Savior to destroy Satan and to rescue them from their sins. Out of God's goodness, He sets up a rescue mission. And God's promise that He promised in Genesis 3.15 endures throughout the entire Bible. 
And my favorite, so actually to go back to, to the soccer team in Thailand. So imagine what it would have been like. You've been in this cave, trapped. You're hopeless. You, you've tried everything possible to try to save yourselves, to get yourself out of this cave, but you're still surrounded by darkness. Imagine what it would have been like to see the first diver come and rescue. The light that pierces the, your darkness that you've been surrounded by. Imagine what that would have been like. If that were you, would, would you have just been like, oh look, there's someone to rescue me. Oh, okay, that's, that's cool, but I kind of like it here in this cave. It's not that bad. I've gotten used to it. I don't really need rescue. Like, that would probably not be the proper response to that, right? Or would you fall into the arms of your rescuer? And let Him bring you home. Let Him bring you out of the darkness and back into the light. The Bible describes Jesus as the light of the world. And Jesus breaks forth into the darkness of our world. And the darkness of our own hearts. See, evil is not just something that's outside Like, oh, evil's out there. But evil's in our own hearts as well. And the gospel, what the gospel does is it shines a light in the darkest places in our lives and even in our own worlds. But my favorite part, I mean all of it's my favorite, but my favorite part is what happens before God drives Adam and Eve out of the garden. God clothes them. He clothes them in the garments of skin. And He covers them up. Y'all, God is the only one who can cover you. He's the only one. And God covering and clothing them is a picture of what God does in Jesus. You see, at the cross, Jesus clothed us with the garments of salvation. Go to Isaiah, um, six, not right now, but like go to Isaiah 61.10 later today or tomorrow morning. And it talks about how we're clothed in the garments of salvation. And we're covered in the robe of Jesus' righteousness at the cross. See, we are clothed with His love and His grace and His salvation and His righteousness. So I'll end with this. God is pursuing you right down to this very moment. I believe you're here because God is pursuing you. Right down to this very moment. And God's pursuit of you is as real as the room that we're sitting in right now. It's as real as the person who is sitting beside you. It is real and it is redemptive. God pursues us to redeem us. Let me, let me put that up there. That God's pursuit is redemptive. 
it's redemptive. And so my question for you guys this week to consider is where are you? Where are the places in your life where you're running from God? Here's the beautiful truth. That there is no place you can hide. There's no place you can run where God does not see you. And where God does not know where you are. He knows exactly where you are. And you know what he says? He says, come. Come to me. And here's another thing. You can never outrun the grace of God. You can never outrun the grace of God. And so, our time this week... We're going to build upon these truths that we talked about today. This is kind of like the diving board a little bit. And we're going to dive deeper into these truths of God's pursuit of us. Because it is life changing. And I hope that we become different people than we were when we came in. So, let me pray for us. And then... uh, I guess it's lunch soon. But anyway, let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your pursuit of us. Lord, we thank you um, that out of your goodness you set up a rescue mission to rescue us, to save us, to redeem us, to deliver us out of the bondage of sin. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. God, I pray that these truths that your spirit would apply these truths to our hearts, that these truths would take deep root in in our lives, that we would be changed by them more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a good one.